1: Oh, sorry. Oh, dang. I know y'all couldn't hear me. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, today's session, like I was saying, I had myself on mute. Anyway, like I was saying, today's session is regarding uh, 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 sovereignty movements and stuff like that, is regarding how the government looks at you from their point of view as far as being sovereign. Uh the thing about it is, it's the reason why it's so important is because there's something that we call the sovereign movement uh, or the redemption process, where you know uh, you'll hear the term, you you would hear the term security party creditor, you would hear the term of, uh, of discharging debt, you would hear of a lot of things, and you would have like you people going to court or getting out of jail or you know stuff like that. So after a while the government has actu- actually developed an intelligence, which means that they have an actual file pertaining to issues such as you know, the uh you know, as far as I like, I'm pretty sure people you may or may not have heard of Uh, the A for B, which is the Accepted for Value, and that deals with the discharging debt. Now, what we're going to go into today, it isn't my work. Like I said, what I'm reading off will be from the the government themselves, from like the Treasury Department, the IRS, the FBI, and these are actual public publications that you can actually find uh, and, you know, verify from their site, because I got the information from their site, so I'm assuming that's legit, you know. So before we go into it, um, as I was saying earlier, this is not legal advice, and I do not offer legal advice. I may offer a form of service and a form of contract and uh, equal consideration and trade and bartering privately, uh, you know, know, between... uh, us fellow inhabitants of the planet. But um, the thing about it is that I don't practice law. I'm not authorized to practice law. I'm not authorized to give any advice, even though the lawyers aren't either because they're esquires and they're granted titles of nobility. And what that means essentially is that they're knights, and a.k.a. British knights at that. Uh, But according to the Constitution, uh, no state shall grant titles of nobility. So it's like, who are these esquires and stuff like that? But, you know, that's another story. We're not necessarily going to go into that. Today, Today what we're going to talk about is either going to discourage you horribly or it will uplift you and it will put you on notice. So that's all I'm trying to do anyway. I'm not trying to discourage anyone, but someone might feel discouraged because when I ran into this information, before I knew what I knew now, I felt discouraged. So I'm warning everyone. So you wouldn't have to go through the exact same experience that I went through. So with that being said, um, as I was saying, this is going to either make you or break you, that type of thing. But as we go, go through this, as we read, we will. Uh, I would break down to the best of my ability. I'm not an expert, even though I am professional, but I don't give professional advice. But I would break down as, as, uh, you know, simply as possible, so that I can try to reach as many minds as I can with the best of the ability that I have. And you know, I hope the same. I wish the same for everyone to do that as well. So, this first one, now there's three particular ones, but today we're going to talk about a couple of them regarding the Department of Treasury, which is where the United States, just like the front, that gives all the United States this money. So we're talking about money kind of today. We're talking about security instances. Uh We're talking about instruments. And these terms, these, these, what I'm saying, these words that I'm saying may, may or may not sound foreign at first, but once one gets into it and starts hearing them over and over again, and then you have people like me, you know, breaking it down, I know there are other people breaking it down as well, but may not be breaking it down to the point where everyone can understand, and that's my goal. But however, uh, I'm still human or I'm flawed just like everyone else. So I'm not a guru, I'm not a go to guy, I'm just a reference guy. You see if you see what I'm saying. So with that being said, uh before we begin, do you one quick second.
2: Okay. So
1: so this one is this is the uh, this is regarding fraudulent so this is what you call the fraudulent the government issues fraud alerts from, like, the Treasury and, like, the government agencies, the Treasury, the IRS. You know, the IRS is where you pay your taxes to. They're the debt collectors for the the nation, pretty much. And the Treasury is the bank, kind of, you know. So it's kind of like if you get a loan or something from the bank, you got the bank who loans you the money, and then if you don't pay it back, they hire third-party debt collectors that you never heard of before, who come collect the money from you, and that's kind of the role that the IRS plays. So they're like the debt collector. So every time you're paying taxes, income taxes every year, you're paying a, a debt. You're paying a due, actually, in kind of like a fee. But it's not as bad as you think. Uh, actually, that's actually where we're going to actually touch on today uh, in regards to how it is that taxes are involved because I'm not a tax protester. Everything that we're going to be going over, you know, uh, whether in this session or in any other session regarding this subject, we'll get into the fact that this, whatever it is that we're going into, um, what we're going to read off coming from them, from what they're saying, it involves things like, you know, uh, you know, what, up, what we were just talking about as far as sovereign citizens and redemption movements Stuff like that. Um, just my opinion. You shouldn't want to create a movement. You can create a movement, but not a movement. Uh, you can create a movement, like the principle of a, of a movement, but you may not want to call it a movement because they're actually labeling movements. Like they're I'm pretty sure they probably got a definition of movement, and it would say something or regardless to some belligerent people doing something or something or something like that. Um, because, But the reason why they feel this way and they're defensive, they're defensive because the nation itself is under a state of emergency uh, and crisis. So everyone's on their toes but it doesn't look like it because we've just been so used to it. So the the government is kind of height, if you will, and they're tender. So, you know, they're like a live wire uh, in the water, and the water doesn't look active, but when you step it to it, you know, it's over. So that's kind of how they are. They're very easy to agitate. But that's because, like I said, over 200 years or so, the nation has been pretty much bankrupt. You see what I'm saying. So, uh, with that being said, uh, since I hope you may have some type of understanding of, of what the topic is going to be. However, uh, so let's just get right into it. So it says Department of. So it says Department of the Treasury, Washington, D.C. Zip code two o two two o. Um, and this is from the office of the inspector general. And at the time that uh, I think this is a publication, but I can't find. I don't know. if It doesn't say. Um, because I, I got this. I got this from. Uh, I didn't get the link and stuff, and I didn't save it or anything. But anyway, but nonetheless, it's pretty accurate information to me. I actually agree with it somewhat, you know. I agree with both sides that it's talking about. I I agree with the government's way of seeing things, and I agree with the public's way of seeing things. But does the public and the government see how each other are seeing things? So anyway, so it says for immediate release and dissemination. So... This, that means that they wanted to get it out quickly as, because it, it's, it's an issue. They see it as an issue or a problem. So I guess this this incident in Arizona uh, in 2008, by the way, what triggered this all? Yeah, because it, it only takes. I'm gonna be totally honest. It just takes one good dumbass to mess everything up. Like honestly, and that has to stop. That's why I, I don't. I seem like I'm talking like give a lot of information that I really don't, because people are ignorant and. Some people just want a fast stick, but don't want to really un- want to understand the situation they're in. As a matter of fact, people are trying to, and here's the thing, we all do that, by the way. So I'm not a, I'm not including or excluding anyone. I'm neutral as far as that goes. But it's true when you really think about it. The only Like, for instance, let me give you an example. The reason why I'm i out there studying and teaching this particular area not a history thing, I haven't only been teaching this. I started out teaching health and you know, like metaphysics and stuff like that. That's in spirit, spirituality. That's why I started that. Now where I'm at now teaching like commerce and law and jurisprudence and stuff like that, I started off the same way as everyone else did. I was or most people did, not everyone but most people did. I had a problem, I needed to fix it. I couldn't fix it, or at least I thought I couldn't. So I was like, for instance, I I was once in debt myself. I was once in debt. But it really wasn't that I've to find out. <clears throat> but anyway, I once was in debt and then I didn't have a way to pay the debt. Or so I went into default or something had it, I don't even remember. But uh but that outcome is looking the outcome is looking good so far. But anyway, tend to pay the debt they meet into default and stuff like that. And you and most people know what happens there. But anyway, uh then I somehow uh actually one of my brothers introduced me to this realm. Uh you know and you know kinda kinda showed me the ins outs of it. And once I started to understand that, I started to realize, like, oh, you can use, this is what how the game is really being played. They're taking your notes and, and your stuff and your instruments, and they're cashing them, or they're monetizing them, or they're doing something with them, they're turning them into something else, they're liquidating them. So, once I found that out, I, I didn't find, first of all, someone told me that. And to be honest with you hundred percent, I was going off that assumption for at least a year before I really understood why they can sell you nook and why they can do these things. Now, here's to where the problem comes in at. If most if people if people who do the same thing in the same scenario and just come into the knowledge, kind of like the same way I did and decide just because they just figured out something new. Like, for instance, I knew that, or I heard anyway, or I believe at least, that notes could be cash. But if someone asked me how, I wouldn't be able to explain it. Now I can. But here's the thing. But there's nothing wrong with that. That's how you start off. The problem sets in, and, and they start issuing out these fraud alerts because when people who just become introduced to the knowledge and they say, What? They hear it from someone. Like they go to YouTube or Google or something like that. And someone and you know, someone's like either a guru or or just someone that actually do know what they're talking about but you didn't or whoever didn't listen to the person. Anyway, the the uh like some guru they go to YouTube, go to Google and they hear something and then they say, Oh, or like so much that here, hear the person who used to say, well, yeah, they take their notes and they, they pass them or they far this. they talk about all this stuff, you like, what, really? And what messes everything up is the fact that that person just hears and say, oh, well, if that's the case, you know, and then go on from there, I'm, well, why? I'm not just going to pay nothing then. You know, just accepting something to wear for it. See, here's the thing. You can only do what you know to, to the the limited amount of, of capability you have is that you, you, there's a threshold there until you expand that threshold. If you don't have enough threshold to hold to this type of information, then you shouldn't be trying to do things, study first. It's not to say that you can't do it. You can do it, but you can't do it right now. If you've been introducing I'm talking to, the, you know, the newcomers. I'm left in the in the newcomers. You see what I'm saying? So the thing about it is, is that once, uh, but anyway, what I was trying to say is that when someone new comes into the game, pretty much, and, and just heard that, oh, they catch notes, and then they go try something, like when a note and send something off and do all this other stuff, they don't know what backs it up. Like why is that possible? You just heard that you can do it, but you don't know why. You're just copying someone else's process. See, I don't teach like that. I don't w- want people to go on uh, you know, you know, looking for a clue. I wanna make sure that people understand it or at least because I ain't being held liable for anyone, I'm letting everyone know that now. If you listen to me, you're holding me harmless. Just like if you knew some knowledge and you're telling me, I hold you not uh, harmless if you state that, you know. But if it's, if it's somebody if you're close to someone, you don't have to do it like that for people you don't know or whatever. Because, people, you, know, you know, people are just, they do all, all type of thing. anyway, Anyway, um, let's get back into this. Uh, actually, hold on one.
2: Yeah, this is really going to get good,
1: though. So, continuing on. So, it says, following scheme was recently identified in Arizona. In September 2008, it was reported to a Treasury OIG, Office of Investigation, that an individual that an individual attempted to purchase a $67,000 automobile at a dealership in in Phoenix, Arizona, utilizing a bonus promissory note and bond. Now, I said a bonus promissory note and bond. I mean, I'm trying to figure out why he brought the bond in there. You know, once you start to understand how things work, you would be wondering that too. Like, what was the bond for? Why did he bring in a note? He didn't have to do that. You don't, because you can't, you have to, because when you're going to the dealership to buy a car, you're not really buying it. That's why you get it on credit first. They lend you, they say they lend you money or whatever. Now you have incurred a debt, but the debt creates the money. So it's not that, Whoever this was did it wrong. Actually, they did do it wrong. It's not, but it's not that. It's more so that they did it. It was in reverse. The order was wrong. So, um, so it says that. So it says that he tried to go into the automobile dealership and purchase a car, a sixty-seven thousand dollars car, at a dealership in Phoenix. Uh, by paying with it with a bogus commissary note or a bond, or at least a, it, it's bogus because they say it is, but it may not have been bogus. You just used it at the wrong time. Anyway, so continuing on, it says in this instance, the per, uh, so in this instance, the purported value of the note was $75,000, and the bond were purported to represent government obligations of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. In other instance, in the other instance, up to nine hundred million dollars. People going crazy. What? Why? All right, let's just hold on. Let me let me tell you something not to do. I am a lawyer and I can't give advice. I can't tell you what or what not to do, but I know absolutely this is what you shouldn't do. Don't go to a dealership with a, okay, let's say a, a $75,000 promissory note and a bond worth $150,000. Okay, what do you need the bond for? And in another instance, uh, there was another bond up to $900 million. What are you giving that to a dealership for? Now you created two. Let's just say that that did work. Now you're creating too much money. The car is only seventy five thousand dollars. Why are you giving them a bond for nine we're just gonna buy the whole what nine hundred million dollars? That's how much that's probably how much the whole car dealership is. You can buy the car dealership with that, but they don't want to buy that from you. So, you know, it's like yeah, like I see why, why this is an issue. So it says dealers must, and this is like I said, reading this is this is from the Treasury, telling it to the dealers and financial institutions and stuff like that. This is a fraud alert. It put the institutions or the public on alert of a potential fraud, and they look for certain things in instrument. But let's, they might do that to you and you were perfectly innocent or you were perfectly in lawful, you know, position. They might still uh they might still uh label you as being a fraudulent uh, you know, issuer. But then that's when you have to bring the knowledge that I was telling you that you have to learn over a period of time to be able to uh uh support yourself. You have to support yourself, support your claim, just like the dollar bill has to have a backing. That backing used to be gold, but there's no more gold. So now that backing, they'll tell you to a certain level that the, that Treasury bills and bonds are the new backing, but that's true. That is true. Notes and bonds are the new gold, but there has to be a signature or authorization given from a human being in order for that bond to become an existing asset on someone's book somewhere. So um, so anyway, so it says dealers must be alerted to the use of these types of notes and bonds, which might or might not be referenced as U.S. treasury bonds or promissory notes. Oh, and that's another thing. Why would okay? Let's break this down some more. Why is this person? I mean, I don't know. Maybe he, he could have not have done that. I don't know. But from what this is saying, I'm like, oh, logically, why would that person put U.S. Treasury bond on? You, you don't do that. Don't ever do that. That's gonna get you thrown in jail and split in 30 seconds flat. Don't. No. That's, that's insane. Like, come on. You you can't issue a U.S. Treasury an obligation. You can't issue a U.S. Treasury security. You don't have an offer. off. You can't issue anything. That's what the banks is for. They do it for you. So the banks ain't bad. It's just that they're they for people. That's all. So however... They are identified as personal promissory notes. I don't know what the hell a personal promissory note is. But anyway, so they are identified as personal promissory notes and or private offset bonds and often contain the name of the Secretary of the U- U.S. Treasury. Currently, currently Henry Paulson on the document. Henry Paulson, I don't even know who that is, but that's not the treasurer or Wow, that's that's how old this thing is. I forget the name exactly. If there's like a number up for it, but anyway, but yeah, that yeah, I know that this information. I hope I'm explaining it so where that people can have it understood, because I want people to expand their attention span, because you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to exercise your mind. It's, it it might feel it will feel uncomfortable at first if you have to use it. Before. But anyway, watch the Matrix. What did Neo say when he was uh, awoken from the Matrix? He said, oh, I can't open my eyes. My back hurts. Or, no, he said, I can't open my, why do my eyes hurt? What did Morpheus say? Or Lawrence Fishburne? Or, yeah, Morpheus. What did he say? He said, you haven't seen, you've never seen them. You know, he said, you never used them before. You never used them before. So he had to, and they was they they got to watch the movie. It was the first Matrix. And they had him up. They was pretty much rebuilding his body because he never used his body before because his mind was in a whole another world called the Matrix. But anyway, let's not get too deep into that. But uh, yeah, but what I was trying to say is that I don't, I'm just trying to. Uh, Trust me, it may be boring at first, but it is a blossoming flower that needs time and attention. So so it says, uh, uh, okay, all right, so, so okay, so it says, the name of the Treasury Secretary, Henry Paulson, but uh, now it's not Henry Paulson, if you want to know who that is, we'll put a Google search. I don't want nobody trying it, so, you know, if you... If, you, if people are trying to start listening to what I'm saying and using the information thinking that they know what to do now, well, go Google the treasury go or go look up the treasurer yourself, you know. Anyway, uh, because that's not important right now anyway. It, I mean, in this session, you see, in this session, whoever the treasury is not important, we just know that they sent these bonds and notes to the treasurer, to the Treasury care of the treasurer. That's all you need to know. So ignore the names. I'm just writing them off so people can, you know, understand. Anyway, so it says the name of the treasury secretary will not appear on any documents listed in a private bond or promissory note since these items are not backed by, okay, since these items are not backed or guaranteed by the U.S. Treasury. Now, that's, that, that Statement needs clarification. Remember, I'm I'm not the one saying it. Um, They're saying it, but all I'm trying to do is get an understanding of what they're saying. And what they're saying does make sense once you really know how the game is being played. So, anyway, as it continues, it says, Moreover, the only type of paper bond issued by the US Treasury that a citizen that a citizen can purchase today is a US savings savings bond. And that's true. There are no more that all the bonds are electronic now. It's all the bookkeeping is electronic. That's the purpose of credit. They're turning everything electronic. So there aren't any but here's the thing. I'm gonna read it again so you can catch it. It says, moreover, the only type of paper bond issued by the U.S. Treasury. Here's the thing. Issued by the U.S. Treasury. What? So they're saying that this person said, and here's the thing. If you're saying that the note, like if you're issuing a note to pay a bill or whatever they're doing with it, if you're saying that it's issued by the Treasury, you deserve to go to jail. Because they're not issuing it, you are. You're the issuer. They got the obligation. They have a people who, who done, whoever this was that did this, or maybe they're just making it look you know more than what it seems. But I don't know. But based on what the story says. Is, whoever issued just had an understanding. He knew what what he knew that there's something about this this industry or this game, or this this country, or whatever you want to call it. But he had it backwards. So issued by the U.S. Treasury means that when this, here's the thing, I'm going to clear that up right, right now for people who understand negotiable instruments. It says that paper bonds issued by the U.S. Treasury. When you're issuing a bond, when you're issuing a bond, uh you're the one that's borrowing or prom like for instance, it says because uh the treasury when they issue bonds, when the United States Treasury issue bonds, they're selling the bonds and the T notes and stuff like that. You give them Federal Reserve notes, and that's how they decrease inflation. That's how they regulate the monetary system by selling out trading obligations. That's all there is isn't buying and selling, just trading and there's lending and borrowing.
2: So hold on. Hold on one second time.
1: So as I was saying, the U.S. Treasury, when they issue bonds, they're selling the bonds, but they're also borrowing. Let's say, for instance, that the U.S. Treasury issues a $10,000 bond. They're borrowing from the people. They sell that to you. You call it a savings bond, if you know what that is, by the way. And that bond is being uh, sold to you. And it matures, and over time, so this is what happens. When you buy a treasury bond, you buy treasury bonds to reduce the national debt, and they pay you interest because the bond accrues interest after a while. And that interest is what they paid to you. And that's the proceeds. And when the bond matures, they give you the principal back, which is how much you paid for the bond, which was $10,000 initially so the bond uh so when when you so when you're telling when like so when this guy he took the promissory note or the, the bond and he he or according to what they're saying they're saying that he tried to buy a car with it and he said that it's issued by the United States I don't know if he did that or not or not but the point about it is, is that if he had done that then yeah He's saying that the United States is borrowing money, but or promising to pay. There you go. It's a promise to pay too. So, um, so it's really it's 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 a slight difference between notes and bonds. But anyway, um, so you're the one issuing it if you're going to the dealership or whatever, and you're discharging the debt, not buying the car, but you're discharging the debt. So and you're not taking the bond to a car dealership anyway. Remember that. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. Matter of fact, like I said, don't even touch the stuff. Don't even spend the stuff until you have understanding with it. So anyway, so when you're issuing it, because it because they have to help you understand, when you go to the when you go to the car dealership and you sign a promissory note or whatever, that promissory note um is the payment. It's a promise to pay. So that's what this guy I guess tried to do. But but he was trying to refer back to how it's the obligation of the United States. It is the obligation of the United States, but they're not issuing it. You are you're issuing it. You're authorizing it and stuff like that. But it's a back and forth game and stuff like that. It's like it's like weaving something together. You have to go back and forth, like in the zigzag between the between a, a debt and that, an asset, and study both of them simultaneously somehow binarily, so that you can have an a conclusive understanding of it. If you understand what I'm saying? But anyway, let's continue. So it says, moreover, the only type of paper uh, paper bond issued by the U.S. Treasury that a citizen can purchase today is a U.S. savings bond. So yeah, this, yeah, this. This is, yeah, this guy was all. I mean, no disrespect. I'm just saying. So it says, all other treasury bonds are electronic transactions, and the buyer does not receive an actual hard copy document because he can't. And if he does, it's not a copy of the bond. It's a receipt because it's all bookkeeping entry that you enter into on a ledger book. And so in, in. Money is money is transferred not by when you take it out the bank and you take it to another bank. It's done. Through, money is transferred transferred through phone calls. You know. I mean, you know, it's still tra- traditionally transferred like you know by hand and stuff like that. But the money is created based off phone calls and a signature. Once you sign it, they make a phone call. But I mean, it's more to it than that. That's not all always- it. Anyway, it says continue on. It says a similar scheme that was also identified occurring in, in Indiana. It was reported to the Treasury OIG, which is the Office of the Inspector General of the Treasury, the one the 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 the, the, the section of the Department of the Treasury that uh, investigates these type of incidents, incidents, you know, such as fraud. Because they deal with the finance. just like the FBI deal with you know stuff like criminal stuff, but they deal with fraud too. But they deal with it when it becomes a criminal case. So anyway, um, not limited them to just that. I mean, you know, there's more to it. Anywho, it says it was reported to the Treasury OIG that an unauthorized and unauthorized individual we providing automobile dealerships and other retail businesses with bank routing and account numbers in Indiana to purchase vehicle vehicles or other property and or pay off personal debts. So it says, so it says, they represented so they represented these accounts and routing numbers to be personal grants or bank accounts. I don't do that. I don't recommend it as a personal grant or bank account. I mean, it's an account. It may be a bank account. I know. Definitely it's not a grand account. I mean, but maybe I don't know what that is, but anyway. Um, but it's not a grand account. It's trust. So they represented these accounts, but I don't know what the routing and account numbers that they use that either, so who knows. But anyway, it so says they... Uh, they represented these accounts and routing numbers to be personal grant or bank accounts and directed the dealerships to electronically debit these accounts to fund payments for their purchase. In the reporting instance, okay, in the report, so in the reported instance, so in the reported instance, so that's when whoever uh, the dealer, that's when the dealer reported to the OIG, which is the Inspector General, uh, what happened and this would be what you said, I guess. I guess.
0: <clears throat>
1: so it says, in the reported instance, the account was a treasury account for vendors to electronically transmit payments to the treasury department. Now, it is a treasury account, but when it says, when it says that uh, reported instance, so the account was a treasury account for vendors to electronically transmit to the Treasury Department. Now, here's the thing. It is and it isn't. It's not an ordinary Treasury account. It's not like a Treasury Direct account. It's a different, it's a private account. And the thing about it is, I'll tell you another, another thing. If you're issuing any notes or bonds or stuff like that or drafts to or any negotiable instrument, and you don't have an, un- <clears throat> and you don't have an understanding of international law, and the history of the United States, and the treaties, and the wars, then you don't know why you're sending off the there or why you can use it. That means you just heard it from, some- from someone. Because if you can't explain it, you shouldn't be using it. Because if you can't explain it. There's no way you you know that you know what you're doing. And that that's not a, a you know, attack on anyone. It's just the truth, you know. We all gotta go through that. I went through it. I felt the same thing. But anyway, it, it goes to say, and here's another thing. You may do the thing right. You might do it it is perfectly right, it still might not work for you, but that's because you have to enforce it. They're testing you. They may or may not be testing you, I don't know. Anyway, it says, if you have any information regarding such treasury-related fraudulent activities, we request that you contact the the Department of Treasury, Office of Inspector General. So it says, says, car dealerships approached by a person to person to person, given these similar circumstances. Just okay, so okay, so check this out. So it says, car dealerships approached by a person or persons, given these or similar uh, circumstances, should consider the potential for fraud. You remember when I was saying they had like a brochure that they refer to and they look out for certain things. This is it. What we just read, and they gave examples of of how the event may summit. So it says that if you suspect any fraudulent activity, it is recommended that you contact the OIG hotline or the local police immediately. And obviously that's what happened with this this cat.
0: <laughs>
1: so anyway, additional information regarding this or other similar fraud schemes can be found at the following uh, Department of Treasury website. Um, that's the Treasury Director. I haven't even been there yet, so I don't know what's there. But, yeah, so anyway, that was just actually an intro. Um, you might be in it for a long haul tonight, so. Um, so, yeah, if, like I said, it, you might be in it for a long haul. So if, if you don't want to, um, you know, participate any further, you want to check out early, that's totally fine. Uh, I'm just letting everyone know. So, anyway. Because there's some really important stuff that needs to be said, and there's a lot of it's not it's not enough time in the day to say everything.
2: Um. So anyway, let's continue. So this next uh piece of
1: of of uh this next, next piece of information was brought i'm not sure exactly what it's about it looks like an attorney or something um but his name is johnny or john gerity freeman and Salimo lindbergh LCC, LLC um but anyway i don't know who that guy is, but i'm just you know putting it on a correct way because it's his work um but anyway this is regarding UCC one by, by uh, UCC one by. By the way, this is pertaining uh, actually to my state, which is Illinois. But it's uh, a reason, but it's it's kind of universal because all states eventually, you know. I mean, it's kind of a common sense thing. Uh, but anyways, uh, it's talking about the UCC because here, here's the thing. My belief or my understanding why I think that UCCs have been rejected and secure parties can become secure parties is because people uh, were at a time, like, there was a lot of moors doing it and a lot of other creditors, like sovereign citizens and stuff like that, putting liens against people like judges and uh, public officials and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that that was wrong or right. But I know one thing that uh, people aren't doing it right if you are to do that. Honestly, I wouldn't suggest anyone do that unless you're highly skilled at that. But, um, but yeah, but this is called putting an end. So putting an end to the use of the UCC1 financing statement as a weapon. And uh, this is, like I said, I'm reading to you. I'm reading this off to you guys and uh, and girls or, you know, ladies and gentlemen. I'm reading this off to you from their, their point of view, as I said, how they view you. So you have to put yourself in their shoes. So anyway, so yeah, so let's, let's get right into it. So it says, Uh, okay, so it says, the UCC-1 financing statement is a tool that use that allows a creditor to perfect a security interest in the personal property of a debtor. In most states, the form is filed with the Secretary of State's office. The filing of such statement creates a lien on the property being pledged. This sounds like a simple, straightforward process for creditors to enforce their rights. It's so simple that one might ask, what prevents someone from filing a baseless UCC1 statement that is done with malice and intent to harm someone that does not owe a debt? In Illinois, in many states, the answer is nothing. However, Legislation is pending in Illinois and several other states that will change that. So in other words, they're cracking down. So it says, the fraudulent pilots or the fraudulent foulist, a simple search of UCC1 statement through any search engine would turn up a plethora of snake oil sales, snake oil sales. These sites encourage people to become secure party creditors, usually with a CD or booklet, for the low price of forty nine ninety nine. Two. Uh, so, uh, so these sites encourage people to become secure party creditors, usually with a CD or booklet for a low price of forty nine So The perpetrators of many of these false claims are individuals who are part of the sovereign citizen or redemption movement. They believe that they are not subject to laws, taxes, nor are they citizens of the United States. These ideologies is sprung in part from the from the Jose Comentadas movement that arose during the nineteen eighties. I can't pronounce the word, but it's P O S S E And that's a uh, that's a um that was an act that was passed in nineteen eighty you know, obviously said that was in regards to um something about foreign like being foreign and something about citizenship, something like that. But yeah, I got a limited understanding of that. Um, but 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 what is being what is known is that whoever wrote this, like from the, I'm just gonna say the government's point of view, or a lawyer or something like that, they're saying that the the sovereign citizens get their ideologies as they call it, and theories as they call it, from what I just said to you. If I comment, taught us, so anyway, continuing on, it says these groups while uh so these groups, while their ideas may appear far fetched or perhaps even laughable, are incredibly dangerous. I wouldn't say that, I would say they were I would say that they're incredibly powerful. They are dangerous to the person that you're putting it on. A lien is dangerous to the person you're putting the lean against. So yeah, maybe it is dangerous, but it's all about intent. I don't have intent to put any liens against anyone, unless you owe me money and you won't pay, and it's and and it's allowed in my remedy to enforce my rights via security agreement. You see. Hold on one
2: second. Make sure.
1: I can't pay too much attention to the chat. But thank everyone for listening in. So anyway, let's continue. So the FBI, that's what it says. The the FBI considers sovereign citizens extremists. They consider sovereign citizens as extremists, as comprising a domestic terrorist movement. Which scattered across the United States, which scattered across the United States has existed for decades, with well-known members such as Terry Nicholas or Terry Nichols. I don't know who that is. Who have planned the Oklahoma City bombing? Oh wow. So, yeah, you got to be careful because, you know, they really put up the, the gun. I mean, they think just because this guy uh, knew about sovereignty and, and now everyone's terrorists now because this one guy decided to blow up a bill. You know, but, I mean, I mean, honestly, a lot of the I mean, it, it it's just so much to explain, but, but anyway, let's continue. So it says... Uh, Okay, so it says public officials, predators, or potentially any individual who gets in the way of a sovereign citizen may become the target of a fraudulent UCC1 filing. And I know I haven't really explained what the UCC1 filing is, but I'm not going to explain that right now because I'm not teaching anyone to do it. I mean, not in this class. Uh, You know, I'm not going to show you how to do it. This is not the time for that uh unless uh, unless uh, you know unless someone wants to you no know, that's another thing unless you wanna have a a class you want a course in this particular area of how to do these things if uh you know there has to be an equal exchange for a donation I call them i don't i, I say I charge people I say that but um, I'm not, but you can't pay any debt or whatever. So you just, you know, pretty much just donating what you have, you know, because it's considered valuable. But it, like, but anyway, if you wish to become a secure party predator, if you wish to take a class, you can contact me at templeatjahoodie at gmail.com, and we can go from there. These classes are free classes uh, that I like to release public information. So uh, because my documents, I don't. You're not. I, you're. You are not you you will not I won't read on uh, Friday night class because they're mine. I put. I put them together, and I consider them valuable. They're valuable to me. I don't care who else thinks that they're not valuable. You know, no offense to anyone. I'm just saying. I value my work. So and they work for me. I mean, they work for me, and I understand them. And I want to help the other people, I understand. But, you know, that takes time out of my day. And, you know, um, I'm not all the way set where I should be, you see. So, uh, but I've gotten pretty far, helped a couple of people. I'm very intelligent. I know things. But I only know, well, you know, choose to know things because I was taught these things, you see. So, I'm a student as well. But anyway, enough of the gibberish. Let's continue with this. So it says the federal government has legislation imposing liability for filing a false lien or encumbrance against a federal judge or law enforcement official. Yeah, because people are putting liens against judges and stuff like that. Like, come on, really? People put. I believe some. I believe people put liens against judges because, the judge didn't dismiss like a parking ticket or something. You gotta be a little bit more intelligent than that. So it says the eighth the eighth the eighth circuit court of appeals recently affirmed the district court of North Dakota regarding a fraudulently filed UCC financing statement against a North Dakota district judge and an acting US attorney. So someone I guess put a lien against the judge and a, a US attorney. I'm not saying you can't you can't do stuff. I'm just telling you what you really shouldn't do. I think you shouldn't do. I mean if you want a positive result. You can get a result, but you know. so anyway it says Illinois solution. So this is Illinois approach. So it says the proposed legislation in Illinois and I've had my my due share with Illinois. You know, they really know how to, they really know how to bust the balls, you know. no offense to the ladies, but, you know, they really just know how to get to Uh, They really got stuff on lock. Anyway, it says, the proposed legislation in Illinois combines elements of legislation imposed in other jurisdictions with criminal penalties for violation and civil liabilities to persons not just public employees or officials injured by the fraudulent, the fraudulent means or filing. The legislation has introduced in the Illinois House of Representatives our Representative Michael J. Uh uh as uh H B five one nine zero and the Senate by in the Senate, by Senate Don Harmon, as SB three eight one three on March eight two thousand and twelve, HB five one nine zero was passed anonymously in the House. Two days later, the counterpart SB thirty eight one three passed an an an, 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 an anonymously in the Senate. So it was So both of these, uh, I know I couldn't really say it like I wanted to, but, yeah, but anyway, these House res- Resolutions, I wouldn't say House Resolutions, but these uh, acts were passed, whatever they are. Uh, you might want to check them out, but they're from my state. Uh, but you can research them and kind of get an idea of things, so there's nothing wrong with that. But anyway, the first one is SB, Three eight one three S as in Sam B, as in Bunny three eight one three. Second one is H as in Henry B, as in Bryant five one times zero. So uh, those uh deal with the fraudulent uh and uh DCCs and stuff. So uh so both of them was passed. So it says two days later the counterpart SP thirty eight one three was passed anonymously in the Senate. So as of late April, the Senate I don't know what year. Oh yeah, 2012. I guess. Anyway, so as of late April, the Senate bill arrived in the House in the House, and the House bill arrived in the Senate for approval. Once the House bill is passed out of the Senate. The General Assembly has thirty days to get it to the governor. Just like giving it to the president. Governor Pat Quinn will have sixty days to accept upon it. So or they have he has uh, sixty days to accept the act. So it says the proposed the proposed Illinois legislation was vested. By the Uniform Law Commission. The Uniform Law Commission. Write that down. The Uniform Law Commission. And could serve as a template for the state's revisions to the UCC, which is the Uniform Commercial Code. So it says, What does this mean for those who file fraudulent statements in Illinois? Those who file fraudulent financing statements shall be guilty of a Class A misdemeanor for a first offense and a Class Four felony for a second or subsequent offense. So they really racking people up for this. uh, You know, if you don't do it right. See, I teach you how to do it right. Anyway. Uh, So it says, in Illinois... Class A misdemeanor carries a prison sentence of less okay, so it says of less than okay, where is
2: it So less than one year
1: while class four felonies carry a sentence between one and three years, fraudulent filers are also liable in civil action. They shall be held liable for each injured person. For one, the greater of the actual damage caused by the violation or up to $10,000 in lieu of the actual damage. Two, reasonable attorney fees. This is all stuff you're going to be held liable for. Now, well, not you because you're not going to do anything correctly, I presume. But this is what to expect if someone is like playing a lien Now, this is not talking about they're not going to do this if you're doing the secure party thing. They'll just reject that. You see, at least to my knowledge, don't quote me on that. But I'm just saying uh, because I've dealt with them, so I kind of know how they are. So I'm just telling you from my experience. One
2: second. Okay.
1: So anyway, let's continue. Let's continue on. Uh, So it says, four, in the court's discretion, exemplary damages in any amount determined by the court or jury. So, yeah, they pretty much do a trial by jury or whatever. The judge, in other words, the judge or the jury can decide how much or what you will be facing. See, But, yeah. But as long as you're not filing, and another thing, as long as you're not filing an actual security agreement, I mean, sorry, no, no, if you're not, as long as you're not filing a, a UCC without a security agreement, you'll be okay. Because the UCC has to be backed by something. It's just a notice. It's just a note. Same, just like a Federal Reserve note, it's just a note. It's just a notice. But it ain't the substance. See what I'm saying? You gotta have substance. The form is just for show. Substance is what you don't see. That's why it's on the pipe.
2: And then again, also,
1: you wanna also wanna start operating in trust because that's what that's how you're really supposed to do it. So this begs the question how does an individual properly bring a claim how do they properly bring a claim this is addressed in the uh, in the legislation as well the individual who has been attacked with the fraudulent claim may file an affidavit with the secretary uh, secretary of state explaining the filing which is uh they have a form for that it's like the UCC 5 I think or UCC nine or I don't know they have more than one UCC form and a national form Um, so it says from there the Secretary of State will take action by requesting additional documentation from the filer supporting the claim yeah they do that but that's good
2: that's good if
1: provided that um, I mean, well, actually, I mean, if you can prove your claim is fixed, you can't prove your claim. You just, you know, you f. But anyway, the additional documentation, if submitted, will be reviewed by the by the Department of Business Services of the Office of Secretary of State and the Office of the General Counsel within 30 days after the request. Now, like I'm saying, that's just this is just in my state because my state has the office of uh, uh, general counsel. I mean, every other state might have it too, but you know, I'm just more versatile in my state. Uh, anyway, it says, after this, after this, the secretary of state may terminate the re- the record, so they may terminate the record. If it has reasonable reasonable basis for conducting a filing, what's fraudulent. So here's the thing. They can terminate your stuff, and they have to have reason to do it. Their reason to terminate your UCC is you not having anything to back your UCC up. That's simple. Because if you can back it up, they can't terminate it. It don't matter what they say. And if you, they terminate, and if you do actually have standing and you don't know it, then you just prove their point. You prove their claim. Their claim was that it was fraudulent, and you did nothing about it. You tacitly acquiesced. So if the party filed, so if the party filed, so if the filing party believes that its filing was terminated wrongfully, it may file an action requesting that the claim be reinstated. I mean, I believe that's a uniform thing, but, yeah, my state does offer that. Ooh, that just gave me some ideas. But anyway, um, yeah, once you start learning, you start getting ideas and stuff. You don't want to start, you know, putting things in the work. But you kind of got to go with your gut feeling. You got to know that you don't know you got to know that you don't understand what it is that you're trying to do so if you don't do it and mess up. Wait until you can explain it and stuff like that.
2: Um, Hold on, let's pause for one second. Give me one second. Sorry for the delay, then.
1: Um, have to close the my computer before it dies on us.
2: One second.
1: All right. Are right, we back in business? So, anyways, um, I
2: was saying, so uh, let's continue.
1: So, one might think, so one might think this would create a challenge. So, one might think that this would create challenges to the filing of claims by banks and other financial institutions. That regularly regularly file claims. The banks do it all the time. Now some do and some don't. Um, but we're talking about the banks and stuff like that another day, or in another session. This this session is just so you can protect yourself, so you can know what the how cold the water is and so stuff like that. You ain't felt the water yet, but I'm letting you know that it's cold so you can expect it to be cold or hot. You know what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? Anyway, so it says, however, this section of the proposed law does not apply to the regulated financial institutions or their representatives. Oh, wow. Okay, so they print Okay, we're going to have to go over that again. So it says, however, this section of the proposed law does not apply to regulated financial institutions, such as banks and stuff like that, which makes sense because you actually have to deal with them on another level anyway. So this proposed change to the Illinois Uniform Commercial Code is a great step towards forward in protecting individuals from attacks. Okay, so it says to proposed change in the Illinois Uniform Commercial Code. Now, that's the thing. Each state has their own Uniform Commercial Code, but it's the same Uniform Commercial Code as the Uniform Commercial Code. You know what I'm saying? But your state has its own Uniform Commercial Code because, uh, because your state has different procedures how, of how the UCCs are processed, but they're still processed the same way but you know, just just slight changes in the procedure. But but you know, because the UCC just covers like okay, you got a security interest and you file a claim in it. You know what I'm saying? And then the, all the other stuff. And the, but what the states add on to it is just their procedure on how they process those, and you know what they look for, like the fraud alerts or the procedures, and you know, how much money it costs to record the the filing, and you know all that other stuff. You know. But all in all, the, code, the actual code is just the same. But it's under a different numbering scheme. So, anyway, it says the proposed change to the Illinois uh, Uniform Commercial Code is a great step forward in protecting individuals from attacks, individuals like so called sovereign citizens who file both as UCC 1 states. So, uh, let's. Okay, so let So legisl, So legislative action. So Illinois is not the first state to propose legislation for the fraudulent filing of UCC one statements. In 2004, Michigan passed legislation imposing penalties for fraudulent filing. MCL 440.9501. Texas passed legislation in 2005, allowing the Secretary of State, through using the Attorney General, to take action to come back, take in, to take action to come back fraudulently filed UCC one state section 405.022 of the Texas Government Code, which is what they call their UCC. Allows the Secretary of State to request the assistance of the Attorney General in determining if the uh, document is fraudulent before filing reporting uh, before filing or reporting the document, so they take their own steps uh, okay so it's for those that are in Texas uh, you could find that in section four zero five point. 0.22 of the Texas Government Code. So you want to study the Texas Government Code, Section 405.022. Um, not to say that's the only code for your study, but that's just one pertaining to the to UCC 5 and how you should also look out. And for those who are in Michigan, Michigan MCL. MCL 440, 440. Okay, so it's MCL 440.9501. MCL 440.9501. And for Texas, it's section 405.022 of your own Uniform Commercial Code. So in Texas, they allow the Secretary of State to request the assistance of the attorney general. The attorney general gets familiar with the attorney general. Me, me and in my state's attorney general are kind of good friends almost. Not to say it like that, but, I mean, we're, you uh, I, I know how to use them. They have to do sure duties. These offices have, these government agencies have a fiduciary duty to serve you. That's why there's there That's why there's success. So Texas state allows the attorney general uh, uh, to determine whether or not the documents are fraudulent before filing or not uh, before filing or recording the documents. So additionally, the secretary of state can request additional proof to determine if a lien is valid if it appears to be fraudulent. So they will request that you provide proof that the lien is uh, uh, you know uh, legit. You have to show your proof. So any UCC1 statement filed by an inmate in Texas, is presumed invalid. What? Dang! Oh my God! They. Wow. I mean, here's the thing: it says that <laughs> any UCC one statement filed by an inmate in Texas is presumed invalid. Wow. So that means that. Also, well, that because you know, yeah, because people were doing that in jail, becoming secure party creditors and getting out of jail, putting liens on stuff on people. And um, I'm assuming that people have put liens on private government officials while in jail. So now they can even become secure party creditors while in jail. But check it out. That don't mean that they can't become a secure party creditor. I ain't giving you no loopholes. I'm giving you a law. I'm just telling you like it is. I'm telling you what is, I believe, is legal. I'm pretty sure they say it is. Anywho, so some other states which have imposed or proposed legislation regarding fraudulent UCC filings include Minnesota. So for those who are in, in Minnesota, get your pen and pad out. Minnesota statute, section 545.05, provides a motion procedure for obtaining judicial review of a falsely filed financing state. Additionally, Minnesota statute section six hundred nine point seven four seven five seven five provides for criminal penalties for fraudulent uh, filings of the UCC in 1 state.
2: So... Hold on, family. I'm going to put that in the chat if people are on the chat. This is very important. Hold on, Hold on one second, then. Oh, I know what I Hope that shows up good. that's the rest of it? okay, so Minnesota. Minnesota I don't know it uh.
1: That wasn't a good idea. Anyway, let's actually continue. I'll just read them. I'll have to read them all figure out another way. So anyway, Minnesota statute 545.05 provides a motion procedure, a motion procedure Hmm. for obtaining judicial review of a falsely filed financial statement. See, that can work in your favor if you know how to motion the court. I'm loving what I'm hearing right now. For reading. So additionally, Minnesota Statute 609.7475. 609.7475. 609.7475 provides for criminal penalties for the fraudulent filing of a UCC-1 financing state. Georgia Peach. They don't say Georgia Peach, I just said that. But Georgia, House Bill, House Bill 977, I mean, no, check that, 997, House Bill 997 aims to make filing a false lien against a a false lien against a public officer or employee on account of the performance of the duties of a felon. Yeah, they any planning down there, buddy. I don't blame her. People, people, people took this thing a little too far and, and stretched it out and, you know, went over the edge and did the whole nine yards with it and kind of played it out. And now, you know, people look at it, you know, This stuff's just messed up now. People need to be more considerate. Um, So anyway, Indiana, Senate Bill 382. Senate Bill 382 was introduced in January of 2012. The bill defines a fraudulent filing and allows a court to enter an order declarating the reporting inspectors. Ineffective. Read that again. So it says that in Indiana Senate Bill 382, Senate Bill 382 was introduced in January of 2012. The bill defines. Oh, okay. So the bill defines a fraudulent filing, and allows a court to enter an order declarating the recording ineffective. Dang, it sounds like they don't get no chance now. But anyway, so Kentucky, Kentucky Senate Bill 97 provides remedy for current and former public officials that are subject, subject of fraudulent filing. <clears throat> so the filing office is also given discretion to refuse to accept a UCC recording if it appears to be unauthorized. That's kind of what Illinois does.
2: So, so further of the sovereign citizens
1: in fraudulent files. it is clear the FBI is aware of the danger that so-called sovereign citizens. Sop- uh, yeah. So it is clear the FBI is aware of the danger that so-called sovereign citizens holds. More states will likely come forward with legislation aimed at the protecting citizens from harassing and credit score damaging false liens. Perhaps other states will seek to work with the Uniform Laws Commission to create stronger protections for individuals damaged by these claims. So, so that's pretty much breakdown of fraudulent UCCs. And actually, it's not the breakdown. That's actually an introduction. Um, here's another one. And I know we, us, yeah, we we're kind of in the long haul here tonight. So, I hope everyone's hanging in there. I love you if you are. Anyway, uh, this one here. Is entitled State Strategies to Sub- Subvert Fraudulent Uniform Commercial Code Filings. Um, and I believe this is from Illinois as well. I'm not exactly sure. Pretty sure it is, though.
2: So, a report for state business filing agency. Oh, wow. This
1: is from the National Association of Secretaries of State. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, this is nation This is not just Illinois. This is the uniform thing. Do some research on the National Association
2: of Secretaries of State. So um, here's the content. i not going to rally those off, i just going to jump right into it.
1: So, introduction. The vast majority of Uniform Commercial Code financing statements filed with the Secretary of State offices are legitimate documents authorized by relevant parties. However, financing statements with no legitimate basis under the UCC often referred to as fraudulent or bogus silent. Are a persistent problem for state filing officers and the individuals targeted by the spurious claims or fraudulent. Often used as a retaliatory measure. Wow, yeah, that's exactly. It's often used as a retaliatory measure by government separatist groups, prison inmates, and others looking to harass or intimidate public officials and corporations slash lending institutions. These filings can create serious financial dick so these filings can create serious financial difficulties for victims. Really gonna know what you're doing. So while various judicial so while various judicial and administrative remedies are available to those who believe that the filing has wrongful, wrongfully named them as a debtor. Then, in a, then in a general feeling, almost the nation secretary of state, secretary of state, that more than can, that more can and should be done to address the issue. So they're saying that more can be done to address the issue of a debtor being wrongfully placed on UCC one as a debtor. So removing a bogus, so removing a bogus lien from the public registry can be costly and time consuming in most case, in most states the action requires a court order the legal expenses that are, that are involved can run thousands of dollars and the process can take months or even years restoring damaged credit Histories can take even longer. Now you see why they, they're really cracking down on it. you got to be responsible with this stuff. Not running around like you got a chainsaw in your hand with, with your head cut off. So, collective efforts by states to subvert fraudulent UCC filings date back to 2004 when the National Association of Secretaries of State, NASS, in the International Association of Commercial Administrators, IACS, or IACA. They don't want to the UCC forms. Um, and develop recommendations to help state filing offices promulgate a more uniform nationwide response to the problem. So the recommendations updated in 2006 included the adoption of a clear judicial remedy for victims of for victims of bogus financial statements along with stronger civil and criminal penalties for those who submit these claims so given the dramatic increase in the number of fraudulent ucc filings during the past few years state officials are now working working under uh, us fights of uh NASS to identify additional ways to provide victims of bogus filing with expedited relief because when you put a lien on somebody, you really mess them up, credit score, everything. <clears throat> so, members of the so if that's why you have to really know what you're doing, even with the security party credit, thing, You might start getting phone calls, but you're. I mean, nine times out of ten, you won't. But if you do it right, you might get a phone call, but it's the right phone call, though. It won't be a scary phone call, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So, but it, but that's on it, won't be scary if you know what to do, you know? It might be an investment, you never know. So... Members of the NASS Business Services Committee have also urged states to contemplate faster, less costly options for keeping bogus liens out of the public record. So the role of the Secretary of State's office and its level of authority in the filing process are typically at the center of the later push, of this latest push to stop the uh, fraudulent and frivolous and bogus links. But the reason why we're going into this is not only because people are links against uh, officials, but it's also they use it in the same context for you doing not get party credit or the thing, So they tend to um, kind of treat you as if you're putting a lien on a judge. They treat you with the same thing. But they don't give you the same consequences. They just reject your stuff. The reason why they reject, you, they, they look to reject your stuff, and actually that's in this booklet, is that uh, they reject it because usually they look for terms like the straw man, and then they look for other terms like, uh, what is it, uh, redemption and sovereignty, And then they look at the form, and if they see that the names are the same, and one is in lowercase, and the other one is in uppercase, or something like that. They immediately presume it to be frivolous. So that's when you got to come in and know what you're doing and enforce your claim. You see. So, uh, okay. So nearly half. So nearly half of all states have implemented their own legislative approach to subvert to subverting fraudulent uniform commercial code filing. And more than a dozen of them have given the state's filing office greater influence or oversight in the process. So this report is designed to provide the state uh, to provide state filing office and other government agencies with an understanding of these relatively new laws, as well as the issues they seek to address. Section 1 provides background information on the rise of fraudulent filing, shedding light on the growing sovereign citizens' movement and the most common types of bogus filings. Section 2 provides an overview of the uniform commercial code and the important influences that this model of law has on the role and authority of state filing offices. Section 3 outlines the 2006 NASS slash IACA task force recommendation and highlights recent state approaches to proliferation of bogus filing.
2: So so uh,
1: it says. So it says the rise of fraudulent UCC filings. The bogus UCC filings have become more common in recent years due to the explosion in the number of people who identify with the anti-government belief system called the Sovereign Citizens Movement. Sovereign Citizen is a contradiction. You can't be both. And you're moving. That's crazy. So anyway, a loose network of individuals living across the U.S. who believe that the government is illegitimate. And technically, they're not. They may not be doing things lawfully, but legally, they are doing things correct. They may or may not be morally correct, but, I mean, to each his own. I don't feel the same way that either most or some people feel about the government although there's certain aspects that I can relate to. (laughs) But I don't get caught up in. So anyway, the FBI has designated sovereign citizens as a domestic terrorist movement. You sure you want to be a sovereign citizen? Now, you're sovereign. Don't get me wrong. You are sovereign. But how is it being carried out? It, it ain't it ain't being played out right. So the FBI uh, has defined sovereign citizens as a domestic terrorist movement and a growing threat to law enforcement. By some estimates, there are as many as 300,000 sovereigns in the United States. Let me give you some let me give you a little tip on that. The reason why that's not true. How many people are how many people if you can round up all the people that are on the in the United States right now and you count them, that's how many sovereigns there are. That's the truth. Here they're talking about sovereign citizens. They're saying there's over as many as 300,000 sovereign citizens. But there's 300 million sovereigns in the United States. Don't get it twisted. I'm not a sovereign citizen. I'm not a king and a slave at the same time. I'm a king with no slaves. I may have followers, but I want them to be kings and queens. princes and princesses doing their own thing.
2: So it says that there are over 300,000 sovereigns in the United States,
1: and the numbers are likely to increase. For many of these individuals, paper, paper-based paper tactics. So for many of these individuals, paper-based tactics are used to strike back at government interference in their lives. Numerous websites sell how-to kits or offer to train subscribers on how to perpetrate filing schemes in exchange for a large fee. Then the people, are like, oh, well, damn, that sounds like you, Rob. What you just in here doing on? No, that ain't me. But you see how they make it look? That is not me at all. But it, but it, it 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 seems like I fit the description because I'm sitting here. Teaching you how and how you know what to do stuff, and I say, Well, I mean, this is free, but I, mean, I say, Well, I charge the services. Oh my god, he's a sovereign citizen, he's a terrorist. No, man, don't even play me like that. you telling me I'm a terrorist? Are you making a legal determination of the identity of my soul? That's the thing. So most of these filings utilize telltale buzzwords and share common indicators, including, (laughs) this is funny, it's true to references to the Bible, the Constitution, the U.S. Supreme Court decision, or foreign treaties. Didn't I say you have to understand international law? Now, here's the thing. I said earlier on in in the show or in in this class, in this session, that this this particular section session will either make you or break you. Either you will be devastated by what you're hearing or you will be put on alert or you become aware of. And because to me it's like, hmm, well, yeah, some citizens do refer to that, but at the same time, that don't mean that they referring to it makes them wrong. It's the fact that they're going about stuff the wrong way. They're using the Bible incorrectly. They're using the Constitution incorrectly. They're using these case laws that you call the U.S. Supreme Court decision incorrectly. They're using the foreign treaties incorrectly. Most of them probably don't even know what they what they got to do with anything. So it goes on to say it says names written in all capital letters are interspread with colon. Wow, they really they really put the nail into it. Then they say signatures followed by the words under duress for a sovereign living soul or a copyright symbol. Let me tell you something. Regardless of what this book says, because this book comes from the government, as a fraud alert. But it's fine with me because I like reading their fraud alert. because they bring me up to date on what stupid people are doing. But the thing about it is, is that for instance, it says that most of these filings utilize telltale buzzwords and share common indicators. So, things like referring to the Bible and the Constitution and law and stuff like that, and write your name with colon and your signature under duress and stuff like that with a copyright symbol or whatever. They're, when they see these things, they assume it's fraudulent. That's why people get their stuff rejected. That's why when they go to court, the paperwork may or may not be working because the paperwork don't work. You're the sovereign. The paperwork ain't sovereign. You do the work. You do the labor. The sovereign takes responsibility and acts as the creditor to provide remedy and to provide peace and harmony to bring back balance to the deficiency that is in the system. But here's the thing. You have to be able to do that, to supply them with whatever they want without them harming you because there's too many people in this game for you to be trying to save the whole world. So the least you can do is share it silently and end it quietly. And, you know, and and if people pass by and they see what you're doing is interesting, then they'll come join you. You see what I'm saying? But that won't start happening until you just truly start understanding what it is that you're doing. The world gets tougher, but it gets tougher. It doesn't. It don't start out tough. It gets tough because you 'cause it's like a scale or whatever. Uh, you know, it's like weightlifting. First, you can't lift too much weight, so you have to lift little weight. And then the more weight, then eventually you can start increasing the amount of weight that you lift. You know what I'm saying? That's that's how you're, I guess, you're supposed to, technically, truly supposed to struggle. See, people are suffering. People ain't struggling. People suffer. You know what I'm saying? Struggle just means a challenge. Suffering is, is being challenged and being a victim. we're responsible for everything that's going on anyway. Keep that in mind. Act as a creditor. Think as a creditor, not as a victim. Ask yourself how can you fix the problem instead of either looking for someone else to fix it or not apply you know, whatever stuff that you can apply to that makes the situation worse. If you can't do nothing good, just don't do anything at all. You know, if you don't know what you're doing, don't do anything at all. Find someone else that does or just leave it there. But anyway, signing under duress means that you are under duress. You are forced into doing something. So I don't care what they say in this fraudulent manual. I don't care who's looking out for something, some fraudulent keywords, because cause this manual is for the people, like the police officers, the people that stand in front of the desk, you know, at the offices and stuff like that. That don't really know anything about nothing other than their job description. They don't know why they're filing their UCC. They just know that they were told to look for certain keywords, and if they find them, then label it as privilege. And then they send you this computer-generated, this computer-generated uh, piece of paper that says it's privilege. And then you try to send it in again. They send the same exact piece of paper. You know, so you have to know how to you you have to know what you're doing you got to know how the game's being played and how they're playing it on you. So it says personal seals stamps and thumbprints in red ink and see i'm i I'm not discouraged reading this. I'm just like, oh wow, yeah, I guess people are using this stuff wrong because the thumbprint i mean i i mean come on, really what are you do? Do I have to explain what your thumbprint is? I mean, I could. I'm just not going to do it right now. I want to continue with this. So anyway, it says the words accepted for value. What? The words accepted for value, that's the debt debt discharge and stuff like that. People are looking, uh, they're looking at, when they see that, they consider it's fraudulent. They say, oh, no, can't accept it. But here's the thing. I've seen it hands-on. Hands on. Accept it for value work, but the person who did it knew what they were doing.
2: I testified to that.
1: And even the stuff I've been doing, I testify to my own stuff. you know, I'm doing the same. I use all this stuff here that they say. I use the name. I use, I use the under the rest, even though I never really had to yet. I use the thumbprint. I use the seals, the stamps. I uh, use the subject for value. But, yeah, maybe I'm not. I don't have the best of luck with that. So I changed my discharge thing up. Anyway, and I refer to, I refer uh, in my paper, I don't really refer to the Bible. But I do refer to the Constitution and the case law and foreign trees. Like I do all this stuff. But I know what I'm doing. If they reject my stuff, say it's fr- frivolous, I'm like, hold on, hold on. Whoa, buddy. Why is this frivolous? Don't just tell me it's frivolous. Why is it frivolous? Because you're making a loop. Because from my understanding, you're making a legal of determination. And you cannot do that. So then it goes on to say uh, copies of personal documents such as birth certificates and social security cards. Now, I will not give you no copy of my social security card, but birth certificate, and we'll talk about another time.
2: That's important, too. So, hold on a second. I don't know if you are with me. I hope you are, but uh, hold on one second.
1: Okay, uh, so I don't know, guess or if this was a question. So are you saying that we should answer the, that call or calls for unknown callers, or would they leave a message? Yeah, if someone calls you, if it's important, they'll leave a message. Because it's like, why are, what's the point of, if something's important, like, for instance, when a government agency calls you, they, they will leave, like, businesses, they leave messages. So, yeah, if it's just a random number or something like that, um, hopefully they leave a message. But if it's real important, they'll leave a message or text you or something, you yeah. know. I don't know. I don't know. It's, you know, it's up there everyone. each is on. I don't know how to I mean, I have anyone had to handle the phone call. Anyway. So let's continue. So according to so according to the American Bar Association, the vast majority of all bogus UCC financing statements also share another important characteristic. They indicate that the debtor is a transmitting utility. Now, if you know about the secure party creditor thing, you know what that means. You'd be like, what? What do you mean? They look at that as far as too? Yeah, they kind of do. They do. But, uh, yeah, it's ways around that. You know, a transmitting utility isn't necessary to put on the UCC. But the reason why people do it is because if you put it as a transmitting utility, that claim cannot be terminated unless you terminate it, because if it's not if it's not a transmitting utility, the average time span for a uh, a UCC one is five years, and every five years you have to renew and refile or uh, do the continuation. For the transmitting utility, it stays on the record until you terminate. So it says this term is also used to refer to any person who is primarily engaged in the railroad, street, railway, or trolley bus, distance. the electric or electronic communications transmission or electronic or electricity, steam, gas, water, or the provisions of uh, sewer service. But yeah, because look at the definition of a transmitting utility. It says what it was just said here, what we just said. Um, but, yeah, I don't want to go into in that at, at the moment. Because, once again, I'm not teaching people how to do the process here. So, anyway, fraudulent filers, particularly sovereigns, use this designation in an, in an attempt to assure that their financing statement remain remained indefinitely on file forever until terminated by the secure party, which is you. Well what most people put is, I mean, you know, I'm changing my stuff up. Like, I'm really updating. I'm really pulling it together, you know. Learning a whole lot of new things, understanding it all. But not all of it. Anyway, under UCC, section 9, transmitting utility filings do not lapse, which means they do not expire. This is a major contrast to most UCC financing statements, which unless continued by the secure party will lapse after a period of five years from the date of filing. In general, there are three main types of bogus filings. Harassment filing, straw man filing, and authentication filing. What? Hold on. What do they mean by authentication filing? Yeah, yeah we're going to have to figure out what that is. Anyway, it says it is important to understand the intent behind these submissions so that states can effectively deal with them. Learning to recognize the common indicators that these slurgeous claims can also be helpful for policymakers and those who work in state of filing offices on the front lines of the UCC transaction. You remember when I was saying like the police officers and the, the, the clerks who are just, at, they don't really know what's going on, they just do it. Those are what they call the, the front lines, the people on the front lines.
2: So um uh, uh, hold on a second. Okay. So that's begin to continue.
1: So all three types of splurges claims will be covered in the following section of this report. this is a report, kind of like a Senate report. So harassment violence, this is one of the few uh, type of bogus violence that they claim are bogus. So harassment violence. Are so, so, sovereigns regularly file retaliatory bogus financing statements and real property liens against government officials, corporations, and banks, or their employees, as a response to a perceived injustice. Judges, prosecutors, and public defenders, public defenders are also frequently targeted. Although they are not legally effective, victims may spend years battling their false claims. And some may not even realize they have been targeted until they attempt to conduct a property transaction or open a line of credit. See how powerful this stuff is? It's dangerous if it's in the wrong hands. The financing statements filed to harass a target a target victim often falsely indicate that the debtor owes large sums of money to the filer or purported secure party. Harassment filings have become more have become more common in the past decade as prison inmates have learned how to these taxes okay, so so harassment filings have become more common in the past decade as prison inmates, have learned about these tactics and adopted them in large numbers. For example, a prisoner seeking retaliation against a government official may file an unauthorized financing statement, claiming that the official owes the prisoner millions of dollars, putting like a billion-dollar lien on the judge, Like I said, I'm not saying what you can and cannot do. I'm just honestly saying what I wouldn't do. I'm not really saying what I would do. I'm just, you know, bringing, you know, this is up of speculation, I guess, research there, yeah, as I say. So the second type of bogus filing is the strawman filing. So under a complicated scheme known as redemption theory, I remember someone from the Secretary of State had asked me, is this a redemption process? I was like, what is that? I was asking, I was like, what is that? Because, like, really, what is it? I don't know what you mean by that. I'm not even going to tell everyone I'm not even going to tell everyone listening to me what, you know, I believe they think that is. Because you know, it's up to speculation. I mean, that's a question. That, you know, I don't know. I don't know what a redemption theory is according to your book. Does every state may say something different. But anyway, so under comp- so under a complicated scheme known as redemption theory, sovereign citizens believe that federal government that the federal government creates a straw man account at the U.S. Treasury Department. Representing a monetary report for each citizen. I'm going to let you be the judge of that. Do your research. Understand the thinking. Understand uh, some other stuff. But, yeah, we'll learn, we, you know, uh, I also teach. I go more into depth and detail about that stuff in my classes, in my uh, uh, compensated classes. Anyway, uh, an individual straw man account supposedly contains anywhere from 600000 to $3 million. Yeah, because uh, people are saying that your account is worth this amount of money and stuff like that. But it's not how it is an account, but it ain't what people think. You can't go, it's not a bank account like you would treat your bank. It ain't like that. And anyway, sovereign citizens, sovereign citizens believe that a UCC financing statement allows them to secure an entrance in their strawman account and gain access access to a secret account holding their funds. In reality, it's somewhat true, but it ain't what they're saying that it is, or what they think it is. But once again, they're on their heels. They're they panic. They easily agitated, and they react. They don't think. They're told what to think. So what? What to think? So this process is sometimes referred to as a freeing money from the straw man. So they 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 say that it's freeing money money from the straw man. Whatever that means, I don't even know what that means. See, I don't even use that type of language. So a straw man filing will often include the same for both secure the same name. So a straw man filing will often include the same name for both secure party and debtor. With the name of the debtor, the straw man spelled entirely in uppercase letters. The debtor name may also include the words corporation <laughs> after it. Don't put that. Don't put that the name of the secure party, the physical individual, is often spelled with, init- with initial capital letters, only with the, with, initial, with the initial capital letters, only in a comma or a semicolon before the surname, example: John, Dash, Robert, Poland, Doe. Boy, oh, boy. And, yeah, like I said, we go into deep uh, depth about this stuff in my class. Yeah. So, authentication file. Let's see what this is because I don't even know what that is. Well, I don't know what they mean by that. So, authentication filing. Aside from harassment and straw man claims, Sovereigns sometimes submit fraudulent financing instruments in conjunction with bogus UCC filing and try to mislead third parties about the authenticity of the underlying document. Yeah, they didn't really explain that. Uh, let's, see, let's see if we can cipher that. So it said aside from harassment and straw man claims, sovereigns sometimes submit fraudulent fi- fraudulent financing statements. In, conjunct- in conjunction with bogus UCC files you try to mislead third parties about the authenticity of a underlying document. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Maybe they're saying that uh, people claim stuff that they shouldn't. I don't know. That's something that I don't know. But I don't do that, so, I mean, maybe that's why I don't know what it is. Anyway, so the UCC and the role of the this- the Secretary of State's office. In order to understand why so many bogus or fraudulent le- leads are accepted for reporting by state filing offices, in the first place, it is important to highlight the Uniform Commercial Code and its influence on the role of the Secretary of State's office. The UCC is a comprehensive model uniform act addressing addressing most aspects of commercial law. The Uniform Law Commission and the American Law Institute are responsible for maintaining and revising its content. So if you want to know who, who was in control of making the laws for the UCC, it's the Uniform Law Commission in the American Law Association or Institute. I'll be writing that down. It's very
2: important. Hold on.
1: Okay, okay. pardon me on about that. I hung up the phone on that anyway, um, let's continue
2: with this treasure
1: so, so the Uniform Law Commission and the American Law Institute are responsible for maintaining and revising this content of the u c c under revised. Article 9 of the code. Secretary of State offices typically serve as the central filing location for public notices and secured transactions. So it must have been something different before then. I don't know. Probably just with the Secretary of State uh, or with the counties and stuff. Anyway, these public notices called financing statements Indicate a commercial agreement between a debtor and a secured party. They are to be, or they are used by banks, mortgage companies, and other lending institutions to determine whether there whether there are existing claims against the collateral of a prospective debtor. The limitations of the UCC nine. Uh, UCC Article 9 in addressing fraudulent filings. According to the uniform language, so according to the uniform language of the UCC, the Secretary of State's office is limited to its role as a fi- filing office for these public records. So the Secretary of State. So the Secretary of State's office is limited to its role as a filing office for these public records. So they only do so much. So the office does not have the authority to verify the accuracy of the, or the validity of the documents when they are filed. That's your remedy, that's your remedy. The office, I'm going to read it again. The office does not have the authority to verify the accuracy or the validity of the documents when they are filed. Even if they are blankly fraudulent, that's not their place. It's for the place of the actual debtor to challenge the lien. We can walk right into the mortgages and the promissory notes and our loans and stuff just from there because it's all connected. A promissory note is a UCC-3 negotiable instrument. And a mortgage is, I believe, a Article 7 or Article, Article 7, Article 9, and Article 8 and Article 4. But I could be wrong. Anyway, if a financing statement is submitted with all of the required information, the Secretary of State must record the document. You see that?
2: If the financing
1: statement is submitted with all of the required information, the Secretary of State must record the document. In fact, the original text of Article 9 prohibits states from rejecting financing statements unless specific grounds exist in the action. Even then, the reasons for, rejecting, for rejection are limited to the minister, minister, ministerial issues, such as failure to pay a proper fee, incomplete forms, or illegible writing. You can't even write them out now. You have to type them. So, furthermore, the options available to a person named in the unauthorized financing statement are limited under the UCC. There are two main remedies to assist assist potential victims, an information statement and a termination statement. An information statement is a UCC-5, and a termination statement is, I believe, what is that, the UCC-3. UCC-3 termination or an amendment. So formally known as a correction statement, an information statement can be submitted to a filing office to show that a named debtor would like to amend the record. A termination statement affirms that the unauthorized financing statement is not effective. The person named as a debtor may demand that the secure party file a termination statement. Or if the secure party fails to act, the debtor him or herself may sub Uh, okay, so one recommendation encouraged states to allow individuals named as debtors in an authorized financing statement to file a motion for judicial review of the filing without paying a fee. So they can get a remedy without, you know, paying the fee because they were around fully harmed anyway. So after issuing a decision based solely on the documentation submitted by the relevant party. The courts could then order the filing office to remove fraudulent financing statements from the record. Although recommendations encourage states to adopt laws that would make it a uh, criminal felony to file a financing statement for the purpose of harassment, while still another focus on civil penalties. Under the recommendations of civil penalties, So under the recommendations on civil penalties, states were urged to take steps that will allow a person to seek damages, court costs, attorney's fees, related expenses, and an injunction against anyone who files a financing statement for the purpose of harassing or defrauding someone. So while a number of states have adopted laws, that conform with these recommendations. The significant increase in fraudulent filings during the past few years has required some states to consider their own Article 9 legislative in, uh, initiative, initiative. Many of these new laws and legislative proposals have a direct impact on, sec- on Secretary of State offices and how they handle the UCC records. And how they handled the filings of the UCC records. So, hold on one
2: second. One second. Okay.
1: And I know we're in the in, in for the long haul right now, but yeah, I I really want to get this on the record. This is very important. But like I said, for anyone who uh, you know kind of don't want to listen anymore <laughs> or are tired or whatever, it's okay. Uh. So anyway, okay. So let's. All right. So, state approaches to file, uh, fraudulent filings. When the NASS slash IACA bogus filings force, task force recommendations came up for, for several for, re, for review. Okay, so when the NASS slash IACA bogus filings task force recommendations came up for a renewal in July 2011. Secretary of State, secretaries of state decided the problem of fraudulent filing had become so widespread and prolific that new approaches were needed. Because every time we do something, they're adjusting to it. Because I'm telling people, like, you got to watch what you're doing. So their decision was based on sharing concerns that the NASS IACA recommendations continue to place significant burdens on victims, as well as the courts, which have experienced some delay and backlog due to fraudulent filing cases. Instead, NASS members decided to examine alternative approaches that would allow state filing offices to play a more active role in subverting these filings, either by expanding the authority of state filing offices so they can refuse to accept bogus UCC filing statements, or by allowing the officers to quickly and inexpensively, inexpensively terminate financing statements and wipe them from the record under certain conditions. So a number of states have already adopted non-uniform approaches to this this problem. In some cases, state state Article 9 amendments impose additional duties on the office of the Secretary of State. And in some cases, it is the Secretary of State that must determine whether a contested record was in fact filed without authorization. 'Cause you have to have the debtor's agreement. And if you're the debtor, the secure party has to have the debtor's agreement, and if you're the debtor you uh you have to agree with the secure party. Um, but yeah, that's another story. So anyway, generally speaking, the state laws that address this issue can be categorized categorized. Into four different approaches: pre-filing administrative discretion, post-filing administrative relief, post-filing expedited judicial, judicial relief, and enhanced criminal slash civil penalties. Each of these approaches is discussed is discussed in section. Uh, okay, so each of these approaches is, is discussed in this section of the report while summaries of the relevant state laws are provided in Appendix appendix 1 to 4. So in states where the Secretary of State's office does not handle UCC filing duties, the report focuses on equivalent state agents, whether it's the Department of Commerce or whoever it might be or however your state handles the UCC, because each state handles the UCC filing differently. So pre-filing administrative remedy. A pre-filing administrative remedy gives the Secretary of State's office broader discretion in rejecting a materially false uh, uh, false or fraudulent UCC record submitted for filing. At least 19 states currently have some type of statutory pre-filing remedy, the Appendix 1, although the scope of the, filings, uh, the filing office's authority can vary from state to state. For example, in Nebraska and North Dakota, the filing office may reject a financing statement that has the same, listed, same name listed as the debtor and th- the secured party. There's the way around that. In North Carolina, the filing office may reject a financing statement that is outside the scope of the law, intended for an improper purpose, or intended to harass someone. In Alabama, the filing office may reject a financing statement that appears fraudulent or has the same name listed as the debtor. Insecure party. That's when you have to enforce, but you have, to, but there's another way to that. Uh, it, we're getting smarter now. We're no longer doing the way we did it in 2009, in 2004, 2010, 2015, 2016, changing every day and updating. So in Texas, so in Texas, the Secretary of State. In consolidation with the Attorney General, may reject a financing statement that appears fraudulent. For a pre filing remedy to be most effective, it must be comprehensive enough to cover various types of bogus UCC filings. When the information can be helpful, or while the information can be helpful when identifying a strawman filing, example, same name. For a secure party and debtor, harassment and authentication filings require a more general standard. Thus, a comprehensive pre filing remedy likely requires that the filing office have broad authority to reject a financing state.
0: <clears throat>
1: South Carolina is one state that has taken this approach, adopting a statute that defines submission. That can be rejected by the Secretary of State's office given, given any of the following conditions. The financing statement is not created pursuant to the UCC, is intended for an improper purpose, such as to hinder, harass, or otherwise wrongfully interfere with any person. Names the, names the same person as both debtor and secure party describes collateral not within the scope of the UCC or is being filed for the purpose other than a transaction within the scope of the UCC.
2: So for some people are like, damn,
1: that's the whole process. So how are we going to meet the third party credits? We'll get to that So We'll get to that later, actually. We'll get to that another time. Like I said, I don't teach. I don't publicly teach processes. So the obvious, the obvious benefit of a pre-filing remedy is that it can prevent a bonus financing statement from being filed in the first place. As a result, a person targeted by harassment filing does not have to spend the time and resources often required to remove the filing from the public record. And they have spared potential negative impact that the bogus financing statement could have on their credit, which may linger even after the filing has been expunged from the record. the other benefit uh, the other benefit important to the secretaries of state as stewards of the public record what wow, as stewards of the public record. They are stewards of the public record. Matter of fact, that's very important. Let's just, let's analyze that for a second. Um, See, here's the thing. They have fiduciary duties. They have their obligations. That's why they have bonds. They have bonds, which are obligations. And if they fail to perform their obligations, then, you know, it deducts it from the bond. Now, let's look. Let's let's take a look real quick, um, just so we can make sure I got it down, Pat. Let's look at what a steward is, because it says that the secretaries of state are stewards of the public record.
2: Hold on a second. This is from Black's Law Dictionary, by the way. This book
1: is thick. This is like the Bible for law. I know Stuart has something to do with British. That's why it's important, because... uh, Britain owns America. They have a security interest in America. Okay, hold on a second.
2: It's here somewhere. S-T-E-W-A-R-D. Because I saw it in here before. So, okay, so Stewart. So, since the Secretary, since the Secretaries of
1: State are stewards of the public record, now let's actually continue. Okay, so, so, so finishing up what it was saying, so it says the other important benefit, so the other benefit important to the secretaries of state as stewards of the public record is this approach. It's this approach maintains the integrity of the public record by not allowing fraudulent information to enter into the public record, into the public record. Now let's look at Black's Law Dictionary. This is the 10th edition, the latest edition, and we're going to see what they say Stewart says. So, Stewart, one, a person appointed to manage the affairs of another. What? They sound like trustees to me because a trustee is someone who is appointed to manage the affairs of another. But it's not necessarily a trustee. It's a different type of trustee. So we're not going to go into that today. I don't want to. I don't want to bother your, your minds with too much information. Not in this session. So two, a steward is a union official who represents union employees and who oversees the performance of union contracts. So, for the record, that's what a
2: steward is. So.
1: So now that we know what a steward is, we know that a steward is some sort of trustee or something like that. You, you know what I'm saying?
2: So let's continue.
1: So the primary challenge states face when implementing a, pre, a pre-filing remedy is the limitation of resources in the state filing office. A pre-filing remedy requires active review of filings that come into the office on a daily basis, both in person as well as electronically. That's what I was saying. Like you remember the people I was saying that earlier uh, about how the people that don't really know anything they're just on the front line. That's what they. That's what they do. They they enforce the pre-filing remedy. So. And they're the reason why you'll have trouble, if any trouble, filing your your claims because of these stewards that don't know their fiduciary duty, so you're going to have to remind them. So staff must be trained to review incoming filings for sites of fraud, according to the law. If an electronic filing system cannot help to flag filings, this type of information, the work must be carried out by humans, so they would have to manually uh, look for fraud if they can't do it electronically. So, post-filing administrative remedy. A post-filing administrative remedy gives the filing office the authority to take corrective action, to take corrective action with respect to existing UCC financing statements. At least 14 states have a law authorizing this type of remedy. So once again, the designation of an individual debtor as a transmitting utility typically provides ground for canceling a financing statement and or removing it from the public record. So laws in other states are broader. In Montana, the North. Carolina and North Carolina, for example, the filing office may cancel and remove a financing statement from the record that has determined to have been fraudulently, wrongfully, or improperly filed. So a post-filing remedy can be most effective if it provides the filing office with the authority to remove bogus filings from the record. As part of this process, the state may be required to provide some type of due process to the relevant parties. They can't just remove it out of nowhere. They can just snatch it down. They have to, they have to give you due process. That's your, the due process is not your remedy, but the due process is them allowing you that they're, what they're supposed to do in, in the first place. They're allowing you to, to find your remedy which would mean to enforce your claim,
0: to
2: prove your claim. So
1: so in my, okay, so in West Virginia, in West Virginia, the Secretary of State may commence an administrative proceeding to remove a filing from the record at the publishing notice of the proceeding in the state register. So the Secretary of State may, com- may commence an administrative proceeding, which means a court hearing or something like that. Uh, to get the you know, the the quote unquote fraudulent filing removed. So that's another thing. If you got your UCC up for whatever reason, secure party or other and they remove it or something like that, and you know you know deep down in your heart it's not a fraudulent or frivolous or bogus filing, and you have claim to back it up, you're going to have to be able to back it up. You're going to be able to provide evidence. You're going to have to tell them. You're going to have to enforce it. And if you know what you're talking about, it'll
2: work. You know, that's why you have to study first.
1: So, by authorizing the filing office to remove a bogus financing statement from the record, victims of harassment filing do not have to seek removal of the filings to the court, which can reduce costs by both victims in the state, by both victims and the state. Speed up, speed up determination and remove removal process and provide a less complicated means of addressing fraudulent filing. So the main challenge posed by this approach, so the main challenge opposed by 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 this approach is that the victims of the harassment filing may only find out that this fraudulent filing after okay, so so the main challenge posed by this approach is that the victim of the harassment filing may only fi- find out about the fraudulent filing after encountering trouble, after encountering trouble, securing credit, or conducting some kind of property-related transaction. So people won't even find out that they got a lien against them until they try to go to the store or something and use their credit card and it don't work. I don't teach people how to do that, though, but, you know, I teach people how to protect themselves, asset protection, how to secure themselves. So, like I said, I know we in it for the long haul tonight. We're trying to get as much done as possible. But if you're enjoying, you can stay on the line. I'm me. not obligated to listen. So, free will, free choice,
2: or as they say. Anyway, um, let's start to begin to continue.
1: So, post-filing expedited judicial relief. Post-filing expedited judicial relief authorizes corrective action on an on an existing financing statement through an accelerated judicial review process with no fee required to bring about the action. These laws are very similar to the judicial remedy proposed by the NASS and IACA, Bogus Filing Task Force. Matter of fact, write that down if you can and, and do some research on it. N-A-S-S-I-A-C-A-B-O-G-U-S, filing task force, T-A-S-K-F-O-R-C-E. Oh, wait. Yeah, I'm
2: trying. I'm trying to put it in the chat box. me one second so yes yeah, the
1: N-A-S-S and I forget the abbreviation find it. actually I'm going to put that on the record okay so
2: the N-A-S-S
1: IACA, so N-A-S-S and IACA, hold on, let me find that. Cause, yeah, because one is where the IACA, that's the one who creates the UCC at forms. If I can
2: find So, uh, hold on sec. Covered a lot of ground today. But, yeah, there's more to be covered as
1: always. Where is it? NASA? Oh, okay, I right, got you. Okay, so, N-A-S. Okay, so. Okay, so the NAS, the National Association of Secretaries of State. Yeah, that's what it is. National, there you go. And the International Association of Commercial Administrators, the IATA. And actually, if you look at a UCC form, you will see the name at the bottom right hand corner.
2: So let me plug that in. Uncheck that on. So it's the National,
1: so when I say N-A-S-S, which is NAS, I guess, the National Association of Secretaries of State, and the I-A-C-A, which is the International Association of Commercial Administrators. So, uh, okay, let us let me time my place again so we get back to the
2: Hold on. Okay, so... Uh, Let me find where I was. Okay, so
1: post-filing expedited, uh, okay. So victims of harassment filings are provided with a faster, less costly means of obtaining a declaratory judgment or expungement order, or expungement order from the court uh, to have the filing removed. So post-filing, so post Filing, expedited judicial relief. That's your remedy. You're going to learn how to exercise that when it is that you have a lien place against you. You know what I'm saying? And it's fraudulent. Put
2: that in the chat, too. Hold on.
1: All right, now let's continue. So, at least nine states have adopted this type of law, and others have considered them in recent years. In most cases, state law authorizes a person who believes he or she is named as a debtor on a fraudulent financing statement to file a motion for expedited judicial review for the filing or of the filing. So they're going to review the filing to challenge the validity of it. Actually, you're challenging the validity of it. it. Make it easier on it if you're fraudulently filed against Prove your claim? This claim there disclaimer So Okay so let's continue So victims of a harassment filing are provided with faster less costly means of of, of obtaining a declaratory judgment or expulsion order from the courts to have the filing removed In some states this approach has significantly so in some states this approach has significantly significantly improved the time frame for resolving questions about a dispute, a dispute filing, a disputed filing, and streamlined the legal process for dealing with such records. For example, targets of bogus filing in Minnesota can now resolve the situation in a matter of weeks or months instead of years. So so the benefit of this approach seems to be that the court system continues to bear responsibility for handling these issues, which means that the Secretary of State's office does not need to have additional resources, training, and staffing to provide a faster, less costly solution. I mean, that's pretty much what I said. They don't need to have training and stuff like that. They don't even know how to gain works. They just need to know what to do. That's basically what I said. But I ain't arguing with them. I mean, they know what they're doing, I guess. So one of the drawbacks of expedited judicial relief is that is that it still places significant burdens on the victims. Although they may not be free for filing a motion, okay, so there, although there may not be a fee for filing a motion, for expedited judicial review. So if you have a lien against you, you could use what they call a motion for expedited judicial review. It is still a court action, and a victim will often need to hire in an attorney and pay the associated costs since this remedy also places burdens on the court, they must be unwilling to support it, or they may be unwilling to support it. So you may not get your remedy in court. I mean, not to say it like that. You're going to have to get your remedy if you got a link far generally filed against you. But once again, it's, it's based on the knowledge of the person and how you do things. So post filing criminal or andor and civil penalties. So criminal and civil penalties are designed to deter and punish those who attempt to file splurges claims using UCC financing statements. At least fifteen states have laws that make it a criminal that make it a crime to fraudulently submit a filing. Typically, their first offense is a misdemeanor crime, while subsequent offenses are charged as a felony. You keep doing it over and over again, or you have more than one of them at one time. However, a few states, including Minnesota and Texas, have been, uh, made it an outright felony to attempt to harass someone using a fraudulent financing state. So, at least 15 states have laws authorizing civil penalties. Many of these laws permit victims to seek damages, court costs, attorney's fees, related expenses, and injunctions. In a few cases, fines may also be imposed. In West Virginia, the fine is $500 for fraudulent filing, while a fraudulent filing in Georgia can be charged up to $10,000 For his or her offense, criminal criminal and civil penalties can so criminal and civil penalties can help prevent the filing of bogus uh, financing statements, and are an important part of comprehensive approach to the bogus filing filing process. However, penalties alone may not provide adequate relief to the victims of bogus, of bogus violence. So whoever it is that filed it may go to jail or whatever, but if they filed it against you, they may go to jail, but your prejudice is still messed up. you got to repair that and, and all this other stuff. So...
2: Hold on one second. Okay. Hold on one second. Uh. Oh yeah. Yeah, this is good. Okay. We're
1: going to... Okay, so we're going to pause in a second. And uh, we're going to pause in a second, and next week, we're going to go back into this. And we're going to put on the record the remedies. So it, it... I probably won't it won't, it probably won't be as long as the class as it was this week. But so we're gonna finish up next week. But let let's continue let's finish this out. So
2: conclusion.
1: As long as sovereigns so as long as sovereigns and their members of French anti government groups continue to continue to thrive, state filing offices would need to consider laws and policies that deter and defend against bogus UCC filings while maintaining and while maintaining the open drawer for us behind revised Article 9 of the UCC, which is the Unipoint Commercial Code. Secretaries of State and other state policymakers must decide how they can best equip state filing officers, law enforcement, and members of the public to uh, mitigate the impact of fraudulent filing and harassment leads. State solutions must cover a number of problematic filings, including harassment filing, straw man filing, and deceptive deceptive Uh, authentication filings. Several pre-filing and post-filing approaches are currently available, along with the NASS and IACA approach that includes strong criminal and civil penalties for those who file bogus UCC claims. The role and authority of the Secretary of State are important aspects of this work. For states that seek to expand the authority of the filing office budget, but, okay, so for states who seek to expand the authority of a, of a filing office, budgets may need to be increased to cover all additional staff training and other additional costs associated with any changes in the process. So, moving forward it remains to be seen how imposing a new investigative duty on the Secretary of State will impact the number of fraudulent UCC filings in states that have, been taken, that have taken this approach. Additionally, it is unclear whether the adoption of non-uniform legislation impacts the rehabilitation uh, re- of state filing systems. This issue will undoubtedly be important discussion. So this issue will undoubtedly be important discussion topics for members of NASS. In the meantime, it is it is clear to the nation's Secretary of State that states are indeed interested in doing more to assist the target of fraudulent UCC. Uh, filing and counterfeit claims, costly, time-consuming remedies are not providing adequate relief for these citizens, and the fallout is putting on uh, putting a strain on backlog courts, on backlog courts, and busy state filing offices, so they can't get to them how they want to. Even where an expedited judicial review is available, the burden of litigation is still on the victim. A remedy, oh, yeah, I like that. Let's say that again. So even where an expedited judicial review is available, the burden of litigation is still on the victim. So it's still up to you to, to sue or to fix your credit report all they do is just get removed from all the Secretary of State does, Secretary of State does, is validate or they seek to validate the legitimacy of it based on what you say and based on whoever has the lien against you say, and based on that conclusion, we remove the lien from the commercial uh, register. So a remedy that allows state filing offices to submit subvert a bogus filing and or allow for its quick removal from the record in conjunction with strong criminal and civil penalties will likely be the most effective way for states to alleviate the burdens on bogus filing victims. So,
2: uh, Um, so okay. I um, let's see where we're pick
1: So oh. oh, and then and there's the appendix at the after what was just read, you have the appendix, because they have appendix one through four. Talk about state, state pre-filing administrative remedies. Uh, appendix two, state posting filing administrative remedies. Then it goes through each state. So it breaks down for you. So, yeah. So that would be interesting because it breaks down each state uh what remedies the state uses and what remedies you can use as well so appendix three would be about state posting filing expedited judicial relief and then I think there's another one uh and four appendix four state criminal and civil penalties so that's. Yeah, so they're going to really, I guess it's really going to go in. So, this really taught us a lot. Um, Because it talks about all the fraud, but it it tells you what not to do. Because now that you understand. You see? But anyway... um, I dearly thank everyone for participating. Whoever is listening, I know that was a lot. That was a long, uh, you know, I know that was a lot. I could have went on for longer, but, um, yeah, I'm just going to pause for today because we stopped at a good point. So uh, next week, it's Friday the 13th. I was planning on actually doing a special and breaking down what Friday the 13th actually is. So um, I probably limit the episode uh, since this is special. Today was a so special because it was more than one hour, but all my shows are more than one hour, right? So, um, so it'll be Friday the 13th. We're gonna talk about Friday the 13th, but first we're gonna finish up what we were talking about today, which is about the UCC and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I gave everyone a pretty very decent introduction to all this stuff. So uh, what I what I did was and what I was, um, you know, what I did was what I'm trying to do is give everyone, you know, who wish to become secured and have what they call your status corrected, what you need to do, however. But it's a way of doing it. So what I'm trying to do is, Kind of take away from the substance aspect of it and uh you know help people look at it from the aspect of actually know what to do without worrying about all of these the, the frauds of fraud and stuff like that. you know what I'm saying so yeah that's that's pretty much out of it. That's pretty much my intention so uh with that being said, um, next week, Friday. 7 o'clock, I mean, yes, or 8 is like Eastern Standard Time. So until then, I uh, thank everyone for listening, and much love to everyone. I hope everyone has a beautiful evening, and good night.
2: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?